Alright, so we're in Zechariah chapter 5 tonight, and tonight we're actually going to do chapter 5 and 6. And there's a reason for that. Normally I try to do just one chapter a night, but the way I'm going to interpret chapter 5 will make absolutely no sense unless we include chapter 6. This is all kind of one thing, and if I would have just done chapter 5, I was, I was trying to figure out how to do just one message on 5, and I just didn't really know how to do it because the way I'm going to interpret chapter 5 Y'all are going to be like, that ain't right, but chapter 6 is what proves that I'm right on how I'm interpreting chapter 5. So we've got to do both of these chapters tonight, and they're both short chapters, so this shouldn't be, this isn't going to be as long as two messages. But uh, before we go through chapter 5, let's just do a little bit of review for context. It's important that we do this. So first off, in the beginning of Zechariah, what we see is a call for them to not do like their fathers. In verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. So, God said, you turn to me, and I'll turn to you. Folks, it is so important when we are reading prophecies that we watch for disclaimers. Or even with promises. When you're reading a promise from God, there are often disclaimers. And everybody wants to miss these things. And because of that, often people, people painfully try to figure out how to make what we read in Zechariah fit with what we see in Revelation. And they can't make it fit. And you know why? It doesn't. It doesn't fit. And there's a reason for it because there were some disclaimers in here. And I'm going to show you this. It's very clear. And it is a huge mistake when people try to force exactly what we see in books like Zechariah into lining up with what the Bible teaches in the New Testament on end times. It's a huge mistake. And so here, he's saying, you turn to me, I'll turn to you. There's a disclaimer right there. In chapter 2, he's telling them to deliver themselves from the daughter of Babylon. But it also tells them how God is going to deal with their enemies. In verse 7, Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwells with the daughters of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. God's saying, I'm going to deal with Babylon for messing with my people. In chapter 3, we see how God's going to cleanse them as symbolized by Joshua the high priest and how the branch will come, we talked about then, which is Jesus Christ. And then when He comes, He's going to establish His kingdom and they will live in peace. Now, we know that when the branch came, He did not establish His kingdom. Why? Because Israel did not receive Him. When the branch came... They killed him. And so as a result of that though, his coming was still profitable. He ended up coming as the sacrificial lamb. And now he's operating as their high priest. And then one of these days, he will fulfill the promises that came and come again as the branch. And he will come and rule and reign in righteousness. And then in chapter 4, we see God's going to help them build their temple. In their lifetime, we talked about that last week, God said the temple is going to be rebuilt in your lifetime. Zerubbabel is going to see it done. 
This is not something that is yet to be fulfilled. That part was fulfilled. So now we are in chapter 5. We need to remember that Israel is in a time when they have recently returned from a Babylonian captivity. So, before we get into this, let me ask you this question. If you were going to credit a city for being the home of false religion, biblically, what city would you pick? Babylon. There's no doubt about it. If you're going to, I mean, it's very clear in the Bible, if you're going to name a city for where all false religion comes from, Babylon is it for sure. Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. We see that in Revelation. There's no doubt Babylon would be that city. And so obviously there's many false religions that are out there, but you know, they all are connected to Babylon. Every, every one of them, they all go back to Babylon. And Babylon is what Israel throughout their history was constantly going a whoring after is the term the Bible used. They were constantly going after the gods of Babylon. Baal, Ashtoreth, the, all that, that all originated from Babylon. It was Babylon that was always competing, that God was always competing with for Israel. And Israel constantly was going back to Babylon throughout their history. We don't even have time to look at all the references to that. So, and Israel today, Israel today has completely rejected God and has fully embraced Babylon to the point that it's often very difficult to tell uh, you know, the difference between the beast in Revelation and the great whore, which we talked about that when we were going through the book of Revelation. And there's dispute out there and people want to debate over who the beast is versus who the great whore is and who Babylon is. Uh, you know, I personally do not believe that Babylon is Israel, but it's hard to tell sometimes because the Babylon and the beast work hand in hand. I think they're... Uh, you know, uh, they would be lined up more with the beast, not Babylon, but that's another subject for another day. So a mistake we, that we must not make when looking at this chapter, okay, when we're looking at chapter 5, and this, we got to do this with every chapter, we, we cannot make the mistake of making it all about the end times. Do not read books like Zechariah and figure out, alright, you know, what's in this for us? You need to, and we need to interpret it first the way it would have been interpreted back then. If we don't do that, we're going to get messed up. This meant something for those people in that day. And if we don't realize what that means, then we're going to get real confused And we're going to, when we're trying to make it all about the end times and something that's to come. You're going to get real messed up from that. So, let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Then I turned and I lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold a flying roll. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll, the length thereof is twenty cubits, and the breadth thereof ten cubits. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For every one that stealeth shall be cut off, as on this side according to it, and every one that sweareth uh, that everyone that sweareth shall be cut off, as on that side according to it. And I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name, and it shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. So this roll, it's a picture of the curse that's coming on the earth because of these two sins, because of stealing and lying, swearing falsely and doing it in the name of God. So one side it's about thieves, on the roll, the other side is about liars 
and this curse, it's going to go on all those who are guilty of this sin. So it says in verse 5, And the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes, and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, Moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is the woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, This is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah, and he cast a weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Now, when you look at stuff like this, it can get real confusing fast, can it? It's like, you know, what is this even talking about? And boy, you know, you got this is another area too. When you're reading after Bible scholars and stuff like that, they can often take these things and just go. You can go anywhere you want with it sometimes because it's just it's not super clear from looking at it. But I, what I personally believe it is that ephah. It represents the people of the earth who are guilty of these sins, all right? And an ephah is basically like a container, pretty much. It's like a, a measuring container that they would use for wheat or whatever. And it represents those people. And then this talent of lead or the woman, it represents the wickedness that was in the midst of these people. Okay, so all these people, this curse that's going out through the earth, it's going to punish these people because they're guilty of these sins. And for whatever reason, the Lord used a woman to symbolize this wickedness here. And it's some, this wickedness was something that was in the midst of these people. And this is a problem, and God's got to deal with this. And so then in verse 9, it says, Then I lifted up mine eyes, and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. And then said I to the angel that talked to me, Whither do these bear the ephah? And he said unto me, To build it an house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established and set there upon her own base. And now what's interesting about this, this is the one place in the Bible where you see what look like female angels. You have two women with wings like a stork. So, But notice too, this is a vision. I don't believe this is a literal thing. I don't, I don't believe that there are feminine angels. I, I just believe this was something that was a vision that the Lord is using to kind of get a message across. But notice how they take this ephah. All right? It's like they're taking this people with uh, and, and this woman that represents weaknesses in the midst of it, and it's taking it to the land of Shinar. Now, what is the land of Shinar? Anybody tell me? That's Babylon. Okay? And does anybody remember the first time we see the land of Shinar in the Bible? In Genesis chapter 11. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 11. And it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build, a, build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So, this area where these women are taking this ephah, notice how it mentions uh, they're going to build it in a house in the land of Shinar. It's going to be established and set there on her own base. Now, 
This is something too that people will often take and try to make it about something that's going on today. You know, did you hear this story over in Babylon today? You know, in modern day Iraq. And this is what they were saying back in the 90s. Saddam Hussein's trying to rebuild Babylon. Anybody remember that back in the 90s? That was a big thing back then. Saddam Hussein's trying to build, rebuild Babylon. Saddam Hussein, if you look on their coins, they had, they had these coins that had his face and Nebuchadnezzar's face on who was also the king of Babylon. And everybody was really confused because, you know, everybody's always been making, at that time, been making Babylon about Rome and things like that. But then they're like, maybe it really is going to be in Babylon. You know, maybe they are there. You know, this is, you know, Zechariah's being fulfilled here. You know, he's rebuilding Babylon and they're going to, you know, that's where, you know, all these you know, end time events are going to happen. I mean, I remember they were making a really big deal about that and everybody was real confused. They're all updating their prophecy preaching and things like that. But then, you know, Saddam Hussein pretty much gotten, you know, lost a lot of his power after the Desert Storm War and then, you know, everybody kind of forgot about it. And now nobody's talking about that. But the truth is, you know, this that we're reading right here is not necessarily something for the future. This is something that already happened. Now, I'm not an expert on the history of Babylon and everything like that, but I do know that you know, obviously Babylon was defeated at this point because where are we at in history, this the Medes and the Persians are the world power at this time. But not all of Babylon had been completely destroyed. The major, major, from you know, what I understand about history, major destruction of Babylon that came, it came during uh, Alexander the Great's reign when the Greek Empire took over. That's something that happened after the events of the Old Testament that we read about. It's something that happened after this where there was a major destruction that took place. So it wasn't completely wiped out at this point. But, you know, and, and while this particular passage here does not talk about the destruction of Babylon, we know that the, ba- the destruction of Babylon, it was still something that was to come. So even though they're not the world empire at this time, we know the destruction of Babylon was something to come. Turn over to Psalms 137. Psalms 137. So we remember, we cannot make the mistake of making everything on here about something that's to come. Don't let people, if you hear they're building something in the land of Shinar today, you know, don't get real excited about it. It's probably just another hoax, just another thing by the prophecy people to get people fired up. But it says in Psalms 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps on the willows in the midst thereof, for they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing unto us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed. Happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. So right there, pretty strong passage right there. But it's showing here that Babylon is going to be destroyed. And this psalm was written when they were taken captive in Babylon. 
So that what we're reading about here in Zechariah is about 70 years later, but we see there before Zechariah was written, they already knew that Babylon was going to be destroyed one of these days. Also, in Isaiah, uh, look at Isaiah chapter uh, 13. Isaiah chapter 13. This was written even before uh, what we just read there in Psalms. It says, The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. Lift ye up a banner upon a high mountain, exult the voice unto him, shake the hand that they may go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have called my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. The noise of the multitude in the mountains, like of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of uh, nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts mustereth the host of his battle. And we're not going to take time to read the whole thing, but this is a prophecy about the destruction of Babylon. He says, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Okay? It says right here, the day of the Lord is at hand. And, and part of what's going to happen in the day of the Lord is Babylon is going to be destroyed. Now, right here it says the day of the Lord is at hand. And we teach that the day of the Lord and the day of Christ are the same thing. I don't have time to prove that right now. But, how come the day of the Lord is at hand then, but now let no man deceive you that the day of Christ is at hand? And even the pre-trippers will tell you that the day of Christ comes before the day of the Lord. So if the day of Christ is not at hand, how could the day of the Lord be at hand? It, truth is, the day of the Lord is not at hand because of the fact that some things changed. God had prophesied to Israel that He was going to destroy Babylon. They were going to be utterly destroyed, utterly wiped out. And those things are going to happen. But when it happened, changed. Why? Because when it came to God's dealings with Israel, in order for these things to take place, there were some things that they needed to do. They did not do them. So things changed. So when you're reading in the Old Testament about the day of the Lord, you might see some things that seem to conflict with the timeline of today. It's because some things changed. The day of the Lord got put off because Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. Israel ended up killing the Messiah. So that changed things for them. Now God always knew it was going to happen, but it ended up but at the same time, God did give them prophecies God did give them instructions that they were supposed to keep, right? And had they kept those, things would have played out a certain way. Those things didn't, because they didn't keep them though, those things didn't play out that way. They're going to play out another way. So God's promises will all still be kept, but how they play out did change. So that's why we see a huge difference between the day of the Lord being at hand in the Old Testament, but yet it's not at hand today. Because things changed. And I'm going, to, I'm going to show you, and there's there's disclaimers all over the Old Testament. They're just conveniently ignored by people who don't want to read them. But I'm going to show you one here that's really clear. And I'm, sh I'm showing you all this because there are things that you can take from Zechariah and apply them to end times, but the truth is, most of it, you can't. And when you try... You're going to mess things up. And you're going to look at this and think, you know, 
this is this has got to be something that's happening now. No, this is something that took place a long time ago. This is something that already happened. In many ways, it's already been fulfilled. So these passages they often cause confusion because when when they're trying you know trying to prove what they believe about the end times, because it's like man, you know, something's got to be built on a base in the plain of Shinar. And what is this base that's in the plain of Shinar? You ever think about that one? And this is where you can go down all kinds of weird, weird paths. Alright, you know, what is this base? Think you ever thought about that one? I'll tell you what it is. It's what's left. It's one third of the of the base of the Tower of Babel. So better tell me, where are you getting that? From the book of Jasher. Y'all didn't know this when God destroyed Babel. The ground sucked up a third of the Tower of Babel. The other third of it, God destroyed with fire. And the other third, God just leveled. And the base is still there to that day. And it's like a three, I think it was a three day journey to walk around it. That's how big the Tower of Babel was. He said, that's really weird. Well, it's also not anything we can count on. But do you see, though, where somebody now can take that, hey, the Bible mentions a base in the land of Shinar. What's that all about? And then go and then go to the book of Jasher and then just come up with weird stuff. And people eat that stuff up. All right? And you all know that's cool and now you hope it's true. You're probably going to go read the book of Jasher and find out. About it. No, don't do that. All right? The book of Jasher is a fraud. And it's, got, it's got a lot of problems in it. And you know what's funny about this? If I can just chase the rabbit here. Everyone who wants to put Jasher in the Bible wants to put the book of Enoch in the Bible. Well, you got a big problem if you do that. Because in the book of Jasher, the sons of God was the line of Seth. And the daughters of men was the line of Cain. So you just lost your favorite giant story with that. And uh, it completely conflicts with the book of Enoch. So, you know, go put that in your... You know, what do they call it? What, what does Skiba call those? Biblically endorsed extra-biblical texts. You know, you know, put that in your biblically endorsed extra biblical text, pipe and smoke it. Alright? It's just, it's a bunch of foolishness. Alright? And so, don't, you know, don't try making this about end times. This is something that was back then. And so, you know, what was this? What, you know, what are they doing here? I believe this is just a reference to Babylon, to the, you know, the woman, the seed of Babylon. It's something that, it's moved around from place to place. It's something that has changed. But at the same time, it's always been the same entity. It's always been the same thing. It's always been to the devil. During that time, it was at Babylon. I believe later it went to Rome. And I think today it's in the United States, personally. That's, that's, my, that's my opinion on that. But anyway, you know, questions that comes from these you know, passages is, you know, has Babylon been destroyed yet? Because historically, we see a major destruction of Babylon that took place. However, it was not completely destroyed. The prophecies of the destruction of Babylon have not been fulfilled yet. Another question that comes to these passages is, you know, doesn't a house need to be built upon the land of Shinar upon its base? No, it doesn't. That does not need to happen. And it's, it's not going to happen. You know, and the other question is, was anything ever built? You know, did they ever get anything built there? But here's what we need to understand about this passage, as well as many other Old Testament prophecies. Many prophecies, they came with disclaimers. And this is one of them. I don't need to try to figure out you know, when all this is going to happen or when it happened. 
I don't know that it ever did happen. And I'm pretty sure it never will happen. And I'll show you why. Because we see a disclaimer. So notice when we get to chapter 6. This is why we've got to do chapter 6 too. Look at what it says. It says, And I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass. Okay. Now notice we're kind of still in the same vision here, aren't we? There have, we're, what we're, chapter 5 and 6 are connected. Okay? And in a part of this vision, he just turns after seeing these things with the women with the wings and all that, he sees four chariots come between two mountains, which are mountains of brass. Now, I don't know this for sure, but remember in Nebuchadnezzar's statue how you had part of it that was brass? Remember what that represented? It represented Greece. Greece is the one that really wiped out Babylon later. That could have something to do with it. But here's what, right here is why people want to make everything we see here all about end times. Look at what we're about to see with these four chariots. The first chariot were red horses. The second chariot, black horses. And the third chariot, white horses. And the fourth chariot, grizzled and bay horses. Now, can anybody think of why people try to connect that to the end times? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Right? I mean, it's pretty similar, isn't it? But here's the thing. Is it the same? No. It's, it's not exactly the same. It's different. In Revelation, all we see is one horse. You know, here we see chariots with horses. Okay? Now, either way, in Revelation and in Zechariah, these things are symbolic. Okay, I don't believe there's literally going to be a white horse when the Antichrist comes. Now, they might be, but I, I, don't, I don't believe it's literal. I think it's symbolic of what was, what was going to come. But, uh, you know, e- either way, I'm going to show, I don't believe this here has anything to do with end times either. So look what it says in verse 4. Then I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, these are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. So this, this sounds a lot like Revelation, but it's not exactly like Revelation. Because in Revela- you know, Revelation chapter 6 is where we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Zechariah chapter 6 is where we see them too. Well, first off, in Revelation, it shows them in different order. Second, the grizzled and bay isn't the same as a pale horse either. That's different too. Okay, Now, I do believe if we want to break this down and get real technical on this, uh, was it the red horse in Revelation 6 that was famine? And the black horse was war? And the pale horse, I think, was pestilence? Okay, So, right here, this first chariot, uh, you know, could be, it could be talking about famine. But then, and the, you know, the black horses could be talking about war. You know, all that kind of stuff was going on then. But either way, it's still not exactly the same. It's, it's a little different. Okay? And in verse 6, it says, "...the black horses which are therein go forth into the north country, and the white go forth after them." Okay? In Revelation, it was the white horse that came first, representing the Antichrist. And then after that, it was the black horse, and, I think, and then the red horse, and then the, the pale horse. So it said it's, it's similar... But it's not exactly the same. And it says, And the bay went forth and sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the earth. 
And he said, Get you hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Then cried he upon me, and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. Okay, so notice how when these horses went through the earth, you know, how they didn't necessarily finish the job, but they appeased God temporarily. So what they had done, the damage that they did, you know, the destruction that came as a result of them, it quieted God's spirit. Why? Because God, remember, God was mad. Remember what he said before? He that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. So God's upset, so he brings some judgment their way, but they still didn't get the full judgment. The full judgment isn't going to come until God pours his wrath out on the earth. It's not going to, the full judgment that God prophesied isn't going to come until the day of the Lord. So I believe what we see here, it does resemble what we see in Revelation chapter 6, but it's not exactly the same. They didn't do the full job. But I believe what they did right here was already done. And if somebody's going to go to Revelation 6 and then go to Zechariah chapter 6 and try to make them out the same event, they're going to really mess the Scriptures up there. This is something that has already been done. This has already taken place. And while history shows a pretty good destruction of Babylon, it, you know, we can't be mistaken into thinking the job was finished or the prophecy fulfilled. Babylon obviously has not received their full destruction. Revelation proves that. There's no doubt they still got more to deal with. So look at verse 9. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Take of, take of them of the captivity, even Heldaiah of Tobijah and of Jediah, which are come from Babylon, and come thou the same day and go into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Then take silver and gold and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be to Helam, and to Tobijah, and to Jediah, and to Hen the son of Zephaniah, from a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. And this shall come to pass. Y'all see this? And this shall come to pass. What we've been talking about in chapters 5 and 6. And this shall come to pass if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now let me ask you, did they obey the voice of the Lord their God? No, they did not. So let me ask you, why are we trying to figure out how Zechariah 5 and 6 are going to play out? How are we going to, why are we trying to figure out how all that stuff happened in history? Why would we try to figure out how Zechariah 5 and 6 are going to play out in the end times when we know that Israel did not obey, they did not diligently follow the Lord? If they didn't do these things, then these things can't happen. So they did, this never happened. 
It never happened. This is what was would have happened. And what I personally believe here too, when it's talking about that ephah, and I believe it's you know, and it's referring to Babylon and God dealing with Babylon. I believe had they diligently obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, then Babylon would have been destroyed during that time. They had it coming, and we see throughout uh, the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you read chapter after chapter of God promising destruction to Edom. Why are there all these prophecies about God destroying Edom? You know why? Because of what we read in Psalms 137. When Jerusalem was being taken captive, when they're being you know, hurt by Babylon, Edom was cheering them on. We preached about that a while back. I think it was when we went through uh, Obadiah, I think. Obadiah talks about that. Obadiah, it's just one chapter, but it's a whole book dealing with the destruction of Edom. They were going to be destroyed. Why? For cheering on the enemies of God's people. We see that Babylon is going to be destroyed because they were the ones that actually hurt God's people. They were the ones that actually persecuted them and killed them. And so God is going to destroy them too. God wanted to come during that day and when He was on earth, He was that branch that was raised up. But what did they do? They killed the Messiah. So as a result of that now, the day of the Lord has greatly been postponed. Because remember in the book of Malachi, when he came, his preaching, it was supposed to purify those priests and they were supposed to offer a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. And, you, and, and this is the amazing thing though. This is the amazing thing that I wish people can get. Because whenever we start saying that these things didn't come to pass, people want to start playing word games and acting like we're saying God broke His promise. But let's think about this one. It's spelled out in the Scriptures. It's spelled out in Malachi chapter 3 that they were... the John the Baptist was going to prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord was going to come. He was going to be like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. He was going to purify the people and they were going to offer a sacrifice acceptable to God. Okay? Jesus spelled it out. Whenever they said, hey, describe say Elias must first come. And Jesus said, he did. But they killed him. And they're going to do the same thing to me. And people want to act like we're saying God wasn't able to keep his promise to Israel. But think about this. Did God, was it not bad when the Jews had Jesus killed? Yeah, it was bad. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't have preached against them for it. He called them out for killing the Lord. So now, People want there, so they act like we're saying God didn't keep his promise, but here's what God told them to do. God told them, I want you to offer up an acceptable sacrifice. And if you do, you know, he would have set up his kingdom. The Levitical priesthood would have been established forever. He would have built that temple that would have lasted forever. And everything would have been good. Israel would have possessed the land, God would have defeated all their enemies. But they did not offer an acceptable sacrifice. But at the same time, they kind of did, didn't they? Because what did they do? They ended up having Jesus killed. And it turns out, He ended up being an acceptable sacrifice to God. Okay, Now, that wasn't... Listen, that was not what 
God originally told them to do. God told them to do it one way, but when they didn't do what God told them to do, God still made it happen in another way and in a better way. Because Jesus was a better sacrifice, according to the book of Hebrews. He was better than any sacrifice that they could have offered. He was an eternal sacrifice, making a better priesthood. Now there's no need for a Levitical priesthood where they've got to be sacrificing animals forever. Jesus ended up doing it all once and for all. But the thing is, so God did. He fulfilled His promise to Israel, didn't He? Even though Israel killed Jesus, He still fulfilled His promise to Israel. And so people today, they're trying to say, well, so all Israel's getting saved no matter what. So all Israel shall be saved. Go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, everybody's favorite verse, verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. And then all of a sudden now, it's like it's just this unconditional salvation for Israel. They'll never explain to you how they get saved because we're not, you know, how can they get saved without believing on Christ? That's what we teach. You, know, you have to believe on Christ. That's the, only, that's the only way to get saved. How are they going to get saved if they don't believe on Christ? And you have to believe on Him by faith. And everyone's trying to say, Behold, He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see Him. And they say, when Israel sees Him, then they're going to believe. Well, then where's the faith? And it's so funny how they always bring up that verse. Behold, He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see Him. And they also which pierced Him. That's talking about the Jews. Right? Where are they getting saved there? It says, And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. That when Usually when people are wailing, or all the kindreds of the earth shall mourn because of Him, that's a bad thing, right? Well, no, that's that godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance. Not to be repented of. Well, that's not what it says. It just says they're mourning. Okay? Here's, and th- here's the thing. The Bible does say, and so all Israel shall be saved. But did you know there's a disclaimer in Romans 11 too? There's a disclaimer in Romans Look what it says in Romans 11, 23. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. You all see that right there? Even now, there's still a disclaimer. Just like there was a disclaimer back then. Okay, and they didn't do what they were supposed to do, and so, but yet God still made sure there was an acceptable sacrifice. But it's still not just an unconditional salvation for Israel. In fact, the, con- the condition for the salvation of Israel is the exact same condition on our salvation. What is the condition of our salvation? It's whosoever believeth. For whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We, if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God raised the dead. There's a condition on our salvation and it's belief. And it's the exact same condition that is on Israel's salvation. And so all Israel shall be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. If they abide not still in unbelief. The condition is still there. And yet, it's like people forget that they go and they read about these promises of things that God's going to do in the Old Testament and they're just like, unconditional. 
And some things are unconditional. For example, God promised Abraham's seed that he would inherit the land. That was a promise. There was no conditions put on that. Oh, but the thing is, Galatians 3 teaches it's not descendants. It's one seed, Jesus Christ. They forget that. When it comes to the people, there was always conditions. And here's the interesting thing. All right, so back to Zechariah because he's talked about, you know, the, he's talking about Babylon, talking about the destruction of Babylon. This is the this is the crazy thing they miss. All these prophecies that were given, or that were that were about the destruction of Babylon and the destruction of Edom, those prophecies were given to Israel. Well, interestingly enough, because Israel constantly went a whoring after the gods of Babylon. Okay, just like we saw in Zechariah chapter one, in verse four, be not as your fathers, on whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord, turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doing. He said, Don't be like your fathers. And what did their fathers do? Their fathers constantly turned towards other gods. And because they did, because they continued to turn towards other gods, because they rejected God when He came to earth, because they rejected, they rejected Jesus Christ, because they said, we have no king but Caesar. And who do you think was Babylon during that time? It was Rome. Because once again, they went after the gods of Babylon, do you all realize that they, in a sense, spiritually became a part of Babylon, didn't they? Remember, you get you. The Bible does not name people off who they physically descend from. They God names people off of their works, and it says in Matthew twenty-three, God corrected Jerusalem for killing the prophets, and Revelation. He credits Babylon for killing the prophets. Why is that? Because they're doing the works of Babylon. So he calls them after that. And the truth is, because Israel went and participated in following other gods, going after other gods, the gods of Babylon, following after the works of Edom, do you all realize that it's very clear in the Bible, we proved this before, that's why they are going to receive the judgments of Edom and the judgments of Babylon. The things that God prophesied on Edom and on Babylon, Israel is going to partake of those judgments when it comes. Physical Israel. Because, hey, you want to follow their gods, that's fine, but you're going to get the judgment of those gods. And truth is, God did keep His promise to them. And even though they killed the Messiah, Jesus offered Himself up as the acceptable sacrifice. And so now, all Israel shall be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. Just like the whole world will be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world Yes, God loved the whole world, but is the whole world going to get saved? No, because there's a condition. You've got to believe on Him. And all Israel shall be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. And any individual from Israel will be saved and have gotten saved. That's what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul 
gave used himself as an example in Romans chapter eleven. And so we've got to make sure when we're studying these, when we're when you're looking at prophecy in the Old Testament, you've got to understand we don't have to make everything we see that's prophetic in the Old Testament line up exactly with how we interpret the New Testament because some things changed. Because those prophecies were given to that physical nation of Israel and they came with conditions and they failed to follow the terms and conditions of those deals that were made. And so as a result of that, the day of the Lord got put on hold. When the branch came, He didn't set up His kingdom during that time. That's something that is yet to come in the future. And so I don't need to you know, do like the Ruckmanites and you know, all these people that are just butchering Old Testament Scripture and ignoring New Testament, you know, trying to trying to make things fit. We don't we don't have to do that. These disclaimers there, you just have to actually take the time to read more than one chapter many times. And when we do that, so you know now we know if you hear they're building something in the land of Shinar, don't get excited. And be like, you know, Zechariah chapter five is being fulfilled. No, it's probably just another deception. It's another deception of the devil. It it doesn't doesn't mean anything. Don't get caught up in that stuff. It's a lot of foolishness. The things of Zechariah chapter five and six, those were prophecies given if they would wholly follow after the Lord, and they didn't. So that's all. That's all up in the air now. Doesn't matter anymore. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much. For your word, we thank you for uh, the clarity that we have in the scriptures. If we'll just take the time to study and uh, look at things in context, and I pray you'll continue to bless the studies we go through the book of Zechariah, help us to learn the history of these things, and help us to, uh, uh, be familiar with these passages, so we will not be deceived uh, by the false teachers that like to pick verses here and there uh, from here to, to deceive. And I pray you'll uh, bless the rest of the night. In your name, we pray. Amen. So.